Welcome to The Green Room, where we review the latest happenings in the world of cannabis. I'm Martin Lane, the co-founder of Cannabis, and joining me today is Chief Correspondent Steve Jones. Hello. And our special guest is Standard Botanic founder and CEO Adam Benjamin. Hello, thanks for having me. Nice to join you. It's it's a pleasure. So I should just um, point out that I'm actually in the uh, sunny UK at 8am in the morning as this is being recorded and and Jonesy you'd be freezing in Sydney I'd imagine freezing it got out to 20 degrees a couple of days ago oh, couldn't oh, honestly oh, I, I don't know how we cope with it that would be balmy positively balmy here and and Adam just to give us some context whereabouts are you at the moment we are on just to rub it in a little the sunny sunny coast um where we welcome Sydney ciders and people from the UK it's holiday season so yes it is nice mm. lovely lovely now Adam, we should sort of maybe give the give the viewers slash listeners some context. You launched Standard Botanic at UIC Symposium in May last year. Um, here we are with UIC just around the corner, which doesn't even seem possible, but there you go. Can you tell us a little bit about why you started the company and what the last 12 months have brought for you? Sure. Yeah. Look, it's it was exciting to launch at uh, United in Compassion. I think Lucy Haslam uh, is one of uh, the great forces in this industry for good for patients. Um, but I, I launched Standard Botanic uh, as a dedicated cannabis nursery. So some of your listeners that might sort of make sense, and for others they might say, "What is a nursery?" Well. Um, really, um, it was to address what I consider the golden opportunity in Australia for um, Aussie cultivators. We, we obviously we see significant patient demand; numbers are going up. Um, and in a nation where we we grow well, we're well regarded for agriculture. Um, I, I always looked at medical cannabis as the sweet spot between good agriculture and good healthcare. Standard Botanic as a nursery. All we are designed to do is support and service the Aussie growers, those Aussie cultivators. We know cannabis is a very high value crop, and we know that growers that can get it right achieve the highest margin on, on their investments. But my firsthand experience, having been a grower, having been, you know, um, here on the sunny coast in a previous business, started one of the first cultivation companies. And I had one of the oldest overseas cultivators as a partner. Um, and, and I was seeing firsthand that getting it right and achieving these profit potentials uh, uh, is really an obstacle-laden path. And, and so I thought potentially on the agricultural side of things, where you know um, plants matter, the quality of what you do matters. Um, you know that's where Standard Botanic, as a dedicated nursery, uh, is here to deliver what you can sort of see behind me. I'm not sure if that even means anything to your viewers, but these are babies. These are baby cannabis plants, uh, proven over many generations, and that's what we want to be able to do: is make the Aussie growers' journey from a plant agri economic perspective a lot more straightforward and a lot more profitable from the get-go. And and who would like a typical customer of yours be? Are they are these kind of other startup businesses? Are they businesses that are already kind of underway and, and have been going for a while? What's the sort of mix? So it's a good question. Basically, um you know they'll fall into two categories. They're either operational in terms of they are a grower. So we are, just think of you like when you go up to the nursery, you want to plant plants in your garden, you go to the nursery. So we've got, you know, Aussie companies who are cultivation companies. They're either operational 
and they're seeing firsthand the challenges. And I'm not just talking about growing cannabis. Anybody can grow cannabis. It's difficult to grow it well. This is probably nothing new to you, but I think because cannabis does such an outstanding job in canvassing the whole industry, and I mean, it was highlighted at the Cannabis Awards in Melbourne recently, which was amazing. And a lot of the focus is on the patient. Now, we know that there's a huge amount of imported products and, you know, we're all talking about, you know, affordable access. Everybody knows that. we got to get it right and we got to get it better at the grower's end. So our customers are licensed growers who are either operational or they're licensed growers who are about to be operational. And right now there are around 100, as you would know, you do the, the, the market research more than I do. There are around 100 licensed growers or licensed companies in Australia. Of those, there are really only about 10 that are operational. So there's significant opportunity for these licensed companies to you know, move into operations. But the, the massive sort of elephant in the room, especially with Australia having very high biosecurity burdens, in other words, when you bring plants into Australia, they go through all sorts of things. Um, really, there's a seed lottery. At best, companies are reaching overseas to the same genetic banks. You know, everybody thinks they've got made. And so Standard Botanic, rather than sort of saying, hey, we've got the shiniest or we've got the best or we've got high yield, high performing, proven genetics and the grow protocols to match and the plants in Australia, that means that we can send them to a grower right now if you're licensed and permitted or a grower if you're about to be permitted that gets you into commercial harvest from the first harvest. Because again, the alternative is playing an 18 month to 24 month seed lottery. You may well win the lottery, but that's a very expensive journey. And so really that's where we're looking at it. And, and I mean, it just might just be an interesting conversation we have, but I liken it a little bit and it's with respect to all the companies and growers out there. I liken cannabis a little bit. I think there's been a lot of business guys who've jumped into the cannabis space for good reason, but they see dollar signs in their eyes and they kind of think, look, I'll get the farming thing worked out. I'll hire a crack squad of awesome consultants. I'll design the best facility. They do. A, it's a little bit like a hobby farmer. If you've ever, ever met a hobby farmer, they very excitedly buy a hobby farm and two years later, it's for sale. You know, there actually are some fundamentals you've got to get right to the farming. And we're just sort of isolating the bit about good quality, high performance, reliable, and more importantly, clean genetics for the grower. And, and interesting you say about, you know, the number of ODC licenses compared to the number that are actually operational. There's, you know, quite a big gap. What what the kind of what are the other barriers to entry? You know, you talk about, you know, the seed lottery, but, you know, what what what's stopping those companies um, what else is stopping those companies from actually getting started? Well, you know, the obvious things being the regulations and the, but assuming that a company now, if you say our prototypical customer, and I can tell you firsthand, our first customer had spent a number of years going through the regulations, acquiring their license. They then were looking, they got their permit and they had a beautiful, and they have had a beautiful greenhouse, big greenhouses, empty, ready to go, empty searching around where do they buy their seeds and what's the delays. And even if you do, and this is more an agricultural sort of thing, I guess, um, point I'm making with you, but even if you buy these seeds, it's a little bit like going to Bunnings and buying a bag of tomato seeds. Now, of course, you'll have many consultants who will listen to this and, you know, maybe agree, maybe disagree. 
But it's a little bit like going to Bunnings and saying, I bought a bag of tomato seeds. You plant them all, 100% you get tomatoes, but they're all a little bit different. One's bigger, one's smaller, you know, which one's the reddest one. And as you know, and as I guess we'll probably talk about a little bit with the TGA, and I think the wonderful level playing field now in Australia, you know, in terms of domestic production versus imported, the tolerances for variation, because this is a medicine, are very tight. So you can't have, you know, a 10% one day and a 12% or a 15%. These consistent genetics, which are not readily available, you know, these people are going to some amazing seed banks overseas, whether it's America or Canada, but largely these are recreational fad-driven markets. So they breed for better, stronger, you know, funkier, whatever it is which essentially is the opposite of consistency. So they've bastardized in a nice way. And so all we're saying is focus on your fundamentals. As a, as a company, what we offer is obviously elite genetics proven. I don't expect anybody to take my word for it. We have intergenerational stability trials that show we also don't just offer a massive smorgasbord of plants. We offer very particular plants. So maybe we can talk about one. Um, that, that is a record-breaking uh, CBD flower, um, particularly for, you know, we know the market wants to be able to drive. We know laws are sort of in maybe changing or whatever. But, but more importantly, I think all this talk about patients and patient access to affordable medicine has to start with the farmer. They have to have exceptional yields. You know, just again, think about it as if you're a tomato grower. If you get five kilos per square meter or you get, 20 kilos that gives you a lot of play within the price points in our case and i you know it's a little bit of a sales pitch but i just want to give you the example we know that there are companies in australia who sell say cbd flowers they do very well for particular types of indications but we know that the highest in australia is 14 percent now ours as an example what we say to the grower is not only do you get exceptional yield so volume but you get a 20 percent cbd flower now i'm not saying that to advertise what i'm saying is if you follow that journey to the patient's end and you say now the patient's prescribed a more potent flower 50 percent more potent they're either getting more bang for their buck in other words they're getting better value for the same you know 10 grams that they might buy or alternatively there's opportunity through that supply chain. And we can maybe talk about it because I think there's too many middlemen. That's part of the reason behind all of this, these price gouging. But alternatively, the grower can say, hey, you know what? Or the, or the, the brand can say, I'm actually going to reduce my price here. I'm able to affordably offer this to the market because, you know, we're getting way over the top kilos per square meter. So um, that's at a high level, sort of, you, you know, why we think, um, and the other thing is just in terms of normal agriculture, like if we were, if this was a blueberry conference and you were, a, you know, blueberry magazine, you're a blueberry grower, I'm a blueberry nursery. That's not rocket science. That is very normal agriculture. You would be hard pushed to find any major agricultural supply chain that doesn't look to rootstock and medical cannabis or cannabis is fast becoming the ninth major ag crop in the world. So hence Standard Botanic, we just specialise in the nursery, providing that root stock so that the grower's journey and so on is is, is more straightforward. Martin, can I just jump in there, Martin? Yeah, sure. Adam, you mentioned um, elite genetics. What's the definition of, of elite genetics? Excuse my ignorance with that question, maybe. 
No, I love that question because I think um, that that's like saying, you know, what's your view on cannabis? I love that question because you'll get a view from everyone and you'll get a different view. It, it's amazing. Um, I think elite genetics, certainly from our perspective, our job as a company, if you keep it very simple, we have to produce clones. So if you can see again in these, these backgrounds, this is a rooted clone. This is where you take a piece of the mother plant, a vegetative big mother plant, I don't know, think about a, a frangipani tree, and I'm, I know I'm simplifying it. Think about a frangipani tree, snap a branch off and root it, stick it in the ground, it will grow. So our job is to provide these babies, and they've only really got to be two things, reliable, in other words, consistent, and clean. So when we talk about elite genetics, I think it's very easy. Again, I've never come across an industry that's that's got more experts per square foot. Uh, cannabis is just one of those things. I'm not an expert in genetics. My version of elite is what you get from us is consistent. I would say it's the right profile. What I mean by right is a little bit like debating wine or debating coffee. Everybody's got a view. Oh, this is a better strain. That's the stronger strain. I don't worry too much about that. What we sell is an in-demand product. We know the patients want certain you know, profiles. So when I say elite, I mean consistent, high yield, and clean. So sanitary, in other words, pest, disease, viroids, viruses, things that we've seen come through North America, which we know are having a massive impact over there and in Canada where you will see decreased yields, so decreased volume of flour, anywhere between 20 to 40% compounded through your harvests. So elite takes on, you know, I mean, it's an elusive term, but then of course it's, you know, it's high performing, I, I, I think. And, and, and then you can talk to the breeders and, and, and all these other consultants that will give you their own specialized view. But basically this is a high performance genetics that is repeatable. Okay. Thank, thank you. I, I might broaden the conversation out a little bit now. Of course, this month we've seen the rollout of the reforms to TGO 93 um, and the, the long-awaited so-called level playing field for Australian firms when it comes to good manufacturing practice. Um, Claire Barker wrote an interesting piece actually for us last week about this, about how prepared or otherwise the industry is for the changes. And Jonesy, I think you've been you've been keeping a bit of an eye on what's been happening since July 1. Um, you know, what, what, what was your thoughts on, on, on what Claire had to say and, and how, how, you know, what's been happening so far, I guess? Mm. Uh, well, I mean, the first thing to say is that no, nothing's happened yet. I mean, I spoke to a couple of, of GPs this week asking that, that very question, and it's far too early for, any, for there to be any implications of the July the 1st um, reforms. And, and that's, I mean, Claire was saying that in her in her op-ed um, last week or a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think that there's a few points that, that Claire raised. I mean, uh, notably that point about any disruption, uh, there isn't going to be anything this year, we don't think. The products released for, for supply before July the 1st can remain in market for as long as the shelf life um, allows. And in some cases, that can be up to two years we, we ran a story a few months back actually about uh, the fact that some suppliers and sponsors may have been mass importing or, or dumping to use that the slightly more contentious uh phrase dumping product into the local market be that as it may um 
what we could see happen perhaps sooner rather than later is, is prescribers switching to fully compliant product now rather than continuing with a product that's unlikely to continue beyond its shelf life. And the unknown in all this yet, and this won't become clear for a while, is, is how many overseas products will fall by the, the wayside. I think it's generally accepted that a few will, but just just how many we'll have to have to wait and see, I think. And Adam, I'll bring, I'll bring you in on this, actually. Yeah, how, do you, how, how do you see TGO 93 playing out over the next kind of six to 12 months, I guess, is the time frame we're, we're, we're most concerned with at the moment? Yeah, look, I think you're right. I mean, it was a great piece, and I think Claire um, clearly has some excellent insights. I think um, one of the things you just have to look at, I mean, I know we there's these high levels, but just um, supply chain disruptions. I mean, it's one thing to say, um, yep, the market's been flooded. And I think we're, you know, you are right there. I think most people would, would say, yep, we know a lot had tried to get in before the cutoff date. Um, but I mean, it's interesting to know. So we're seeing a lot of domestic growers because it's driven by de doctor demand, whether it's GPs in the regular world of GP land or, or cannabis clinics specialised, very quickly manoeuvring to, well, how do I secure domestic demand? And so these domestic growers are coming to us saying, well, we want to upscale or, you know, we... we so I think one of the reasons, you know, um, you're probably right, there'll, there'll be a, a lag, obviously. Um, Claire made a good point. The expiry dates is one thing. But I think the obvious thing, and I speak to Canadian nurseries, Canadian growers, all of these guys, um, the reality is, is if they get a better price out of Germany, so let's say an, a, a product being exported out of Canada that would come to Australia, um, that, you know, let's say is going gangbusters right now, uh, they will just magically tell the Australian company, sorry, we've got a stock outage, which they don't have. They just move it off to Germany because they're getting a better price. So you just have to take a ticket. Now, we know that's how that's what's happening. It's starting to happen. It's not yet obvious because there's a glut in, in, in Australia. But those are very real things. You, you can't manoeuvre your way through a company that says, sorry, you know, um, not to mention the obvious, you know, level playing field. That, and obviously that, that we do know and we work very closely with the leading um, uh, regulatory consultants in Australia. I guess, the you know, the greenwashing, the greenwashing and the loopholes, you know, that, that might still exist. They're exploiting it. But ultimately what we are hearing from doctors, if you want to hear from the, the doctors, they don't want to have to worry about supply chain shortage. When, aside from COVID and, and you know, the, the shortages that came out of that, they never had to write a script and go, oh, gee, maybe the patient's going to come back and tell me this is out of stock and I'm going to have to run another cons consultation for free here. So the sooner that gets solved, again, by domestic, domestic demand, just the practicalities, the logistics, not to mention the obvious TGO and TGA, you know, knock-on uh, effects that will come in, as you say, and I agree with you. I think, you know, that it'll come in next year. But that's why it's a no-brainer. Do you really want your, again, I'm just going to make it simple, do you want your tomatoes coming in from Peru or do you want your tomatoes coming in from the Sunshine Coast, you know, if they're, you know, or, or if there's some, you know, e equal sort of quality or even if there's better quality, it's a no-brainer. I want them coming locally uh, because the supply chain is, is much more, um consistent yeah so so i think that's just the the sort of reality as well not just the the, the regulations there isn't enough supply in australia though adam is there at the moment to satisfy demand I and mean, that's part of the reason why 
so much product is is being imported. I mean, the part you know, not not many companies have scaled yet, have they? No, you're right. You're right. And, and you see, I think that's exa- that's the key point. Once these companies, and we know who the big boys are, but equally, I would say where a, so once these companies scale, patient affordability and uh, continuous access moves to the next level. That's really what happens. We know which companies want to grow 12 and a half tonnes annually. We know all the companies. So let them do it. Let them do it by have Aussie doctors writing scripts for these Aussie products. And I know there's, you know, a lot of patients will say, no, I only want, and it's patient driven. But you're right. Um, these companies need to be able to get, we know they're making representations at a federal level, but largely these are private enterprises. And now's their moment to rise and shine. So as that scalability comes online, and I think the other thing, which, I mean, we just have the insight because we're a nursery, we touch a lot of growers, you know, licensed growers in Australia, the craft grower, the craft grower is, you know, our prototypical customer is a 4,000 square metre, call it maybe uh, two tonnes a year, maybe a bit more, depending on how well they've engineered their mesh. This is what's going to emerge in Australia. Now, I won't, you know, call the analogy exactly like California, where they've got all these, you know, recreational sort of craft growers. But it is very much like that, where you're going to find the Byron Bay doctors writing scripts for the Byron Bay grown products, because this is what happens. Sunshine Coast, we've got at very least three companies, three licensed companies, big operations. One's my former one. They're local. So I think, Steve, you're right. Basically, once these Aussie companies can scale, and and that will inevitably have a have a natural pushback on these imported products, let alone the regulations. We're really off to the races. We're we're off to what I would consider. I wouldn't say we're going to become like we are in the opiate industry, where Australia produces fifty two and a half percent of the world's opiates out of Tasmania. We grow a heck of a lot of poppies, but I would say we are ripe to take advantage of becoming a cannabinoid producing country. Good ag meets good healthcare and at scale, which is hopefully what these companies will do and what we want to support them to do in the next six to 12 months. But, but scaling costs a lot of money, doesn't it? And that's the problem. A lot of these these sort of, certainly the smaller cultivators have got, or any cultivator, frankly, it, it, you've got yes, to generate no. revenue. Yes, no. I, I think you're right. And sorry to cut you off. Um, no, no. I think we can say, scaling costs a lot of money maybe i can change that word to scaling cost a lot of money we know you know the again the obvious ones that you have in your articles all the time these facilities are there these facilities are you know not all of them not all these guys are scaled but a couple of them you know and you documented very well the acquisitions that some companies have made we can produce far more in australia than we currently are and we've got the demand for it in Australia. So I would say, let the next six months, maybe 12 months, wash these imported products out. We know not all of them will get washed out. But I think, you know, if you, keep it simple. If an Aussie patient goes into a, a, a clinic or a GP and says, well, look, if I have a preference, I'd like Australian first. It's, it's pretty simple. That's that's what can start to happen. Um so, so, but I agree with you. I mean, it's not an overnight thing, but these facilities, I haven't, you know, been to all of them. Some of them can produce, you know, five, 10 times what they're doing. They're just waiting to, you know, have the Aussie doctor write scripts for the Aussie patient, yeah. uh, Aussie, Aussie product. 
Okay, I'm going to try and move the conversation on a little bit to another kind of, you know, trend that's kind of, you know, bubbling along in the background, which is obviously the kind of adult use legalisation kind of um, campaign, if you like. Um, Danji, you've been chatting to um, Legalised Cannabis Victoria MP David Ettershank recently about the party's plans to move the dial on adult use um, with this kind of coordinated approach across the the states where um, legalised cannabis has MPs. Um, it feels like there's some sort of really good strategic brains behind behind this. Um, I, I guess the question is, um, will it actually change the law in any state? <laughs> yeah, the, the $64,000 million question, clearly. Um, look, it, it, it's a, it's the legalisation debate is... is it's becoming it's becoming a conversation in Australia. I think we can all agree on that. Um, and I think what Legalised Cannabis Party has done is is pretty smart. They haven't gone full throttle. You know, let's legalise uh, as as the Greens have done. They've tabled a bill to allow. Uh, I think it's up to six plants. Uh, so per personal use, uh, similar to what's already in place in the the ACT. Uh, so that's a. I think politicians will be a little bit more. They'll, they'll be able to swallow that a little bit more. Uh, and the next stage, which David Ettershank told me a couple of weeks back, is to create these cannabis clubs where people who can't grow outdoors um, can enlist the help of a, of a local uh, farmer, farmer with an F, to grow cannabis on their behalf. So these are small steps. But, uh, you know, I, I, as much as these make sense to, to you and me and, and, and to Adam and, and, and to increasing numbers of the population... You know, the public are coming on board with this. You're still dealing with a very conservative mindset with with politicians. And that that's my fear with, with this. I know people suggest that maybe two or three years down the line, cannabis will be legalized in some form or other in Australia. I just don't see it. I think it's at least at least five years, probably 10. I'm not being pessimistic. I will not try to be pessimistic, but I, I suspect that's that's the time frame. Um, uh, we'll chat about ICBC in a minute and, and, and what's happening in, in Germany, but um, just just sticking with the, the Australian market at the moment, I, I guess the other question, Adam, I'll bring you in on this, is um, where do you stand from a kind of medicinal cannabis industry perspective? Um, you know, thinking about you know the Canadian experience with 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 med the medicinal market when adult use was legalised. You know, would it be would it be a good or a bad thing, for, in your view, if 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 legalised cannabis were successful in getting adult use at least you know partially legalised or decriminalised at least? I think it look. It's a good question. It is a good question. I think. Steve, I think you're right. Firstly, um, one of I tell you, I, I was asked I was asked an interesting question because, like you know, I mean, everyone again, everyone wants to be an expert. I'm not an expert, but I, somebody said to me, you know, so what's the difference? You know, what's the difference between recreational cannabis and medical cannabis? And when they, th I thought, oh, it's a bit like asking what's elite genetics. You know that, like, whatever your answer, you'll get a different answer. So I actually thought for a second. I thought. And you, you guys know the demographics in Australia. You know what percentage of, of patients, you know, are either purely medical or, you know, maybe they're self-medicating. And I thought for a second, hang on a sec, why don't we turn that question around and say, 
actually, there are a lot of adult users right now in the medical cannabis framework. That's we know that's happening. And so, you know, because we know the price point is working for these guys, we know the consistency and the quality means they don't have to go to the pub. Uh, I'm not getting into a debate whether they needed it genuinely for medicine or not. It's not that. I really thought, you know, one of the best arguments, and Steve, why I say you're right, is I think, you know, obviously we're a very conservative country. The medical thing got across the line with outstanding work through the Lucy Haslam's of the world. But it's not the same. It's not the same with recreational because, first, it doesn't resonate. You know, you're not talking to a politician who says, you know, actually, my auntie was taking some oil and I understand I, I'm going to change the laws. It's a very different argument. But I do think you're right on the conservative nature. And I heard a very, I think maybe either you covered the article or it was one of the doctors at your awards who said, you know what, we really should segment recreational from medical because it's making it very difficult at the moment to be a specialist cannabinoid doctor and really push the virtues of this medicine when it's already being muddied with you know and I thought that's an interesting take I mean it sounded right but it also sounded like who better than the conservative doctors to push this forward to say Look, really, you know, we're already treating recreational users. Like, don't don't stick your hand, head in the in in the sand. So, I think you're brave, Steve, in putting any any date on. You know, you know, five years, eight years, whatever it is, you have to put something. Plus, it sells. You know, people will click on whatever you said. It's good, but um, but but I, I think look, generally, I've, look for us, it's good for business. You know, we're a nursery. You look over at Canada when it went from medical cannabis to recreational cannabis. Who directly competed? the growers who won the picks and shovels businesses like us who you know if you want to take it for medicine and i and i do look one of the things we do is we look at our again the elite nature of our our things it's the consistent repeatable side of our genetics that serves the medical side better of course we've got you know whatever green gelato durban point all of those things but that's a very different market so um, I just thought it was an interesting take if you look at the patient rather than the product and say, well, maybe it's already here and maybe maybe that's it's going to come from inside the medical fraternity, perhaps. It'd be interesting to hear some of your doctors. Yeah, look, that, uh, it's a very interesting point you make and, and, and quite a neat segue into, um, I mentioned ICBC and, and, and I was chatting to somebody there who said, you know, they kind of think about it in, and I don't think this is a necessarily a, a massively original view, but, but it, but it kind of crystallized it for me, I thought, which, which is, you know, they think in terms of recreational users, medicinal users, and then therapeutic users. Um, and that idea that, you know, some people, you know, will, will use cannabis because they like it, they want to get high, they enjoy it, you know, for all of, all, all of those reasons. Other people are using it specifically to treat a condition which, you know, where it's been prescribed by their GP. And then there's a bunch of people in the middle who, you know, might, you know, use it to relax, might use it to help them them sleep, might use it for, you know, mild anxiety, etc. who wouldn't, you know, necessarily consider themselves to be medicinal users as such but are using it in order to gain a therapeutic benefit and i thought that that was quite an interesting way of thinking about it because it sort of you know it becomes a bit broader and it becomes a bit more all-encompassing rather than as you say adam which you know maybe we're trying to 
put labels on 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 people's use of cannabis that they don't necessarily you know think about it in in that way um and why are we why are we sort of why are we defining it anyway well we're defining it in order to fit in with a reg regulatory system that exists rather than the actual lived experience of the person using the medicine in you know or using the plant in in the first place the other thing about icbc was i did pick up this really annoying cough which i'm sure you've already got well and truly fed up with as as has my wife it's not covid i should say i have tested um and and icbc was a bit of an interesting one actually in 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 in, in the context of this conversation that the the first morning the the entire content was around germany's move towards adult use um legalization which of course has stalled um and you know may happen but if it does happen it will happen in a very different way to how it was envisaged i'd imagine when the icbc organizers put the program together so it 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 was it was it was interesting but what it did prove was you know even in germany where there is the political will to do this there's still an awful lot of hurdles to jump before it can actually get across the line not not least you know the eu regulations um etc so i thought that was quite interesting you know i've always said you know it it feels like it requires you know um it, it, it requires a polit a mainstream politician who's who's prepared to spend the kind of political capital on this issue to get it across the line and, and we're not there yet in in australia and, and new zealand but in germany there is a government who wants to do this and even mm. they're struggling so martin did, um, did you sorry yeah. to interrupt did you get the, the feeling at icbc that it will happen at some point or or is there a feeling that it actually might just completely fall off the political agenda. Was, was I think there, I, 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 there is, you know, there, there's hope that it will still happen in in some form, um, but I think it's just, yeah, it's proving a lot more difficult than people mm. expected it it, it to. <laughs> and as I say, that kind of when you think about that in the context of Australia, it it, it becomes hard, harder to imagine that it that it that it might happen in that kind of shorter time frame as you say mm. the one thing i always come back to in australia though is that there is at least there's a state-based system like there is in the us so it, it you know it, it it doesn't have to, it's not all federal um it's it, it could happen piecemeal um where you know places like germany and the uk don't have that have that advantage but um i guess the truth of the matter is we shall we shall see um no, I... gonna, yeah Go on, sorry. sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but but it's a very interesting point. Can I just give you a, because we're sort of debating the unknown, you know, or, you know, giving our best estimates and whatnot. And, and so just to for the, put it in comparison, I've been off to Thailand a number of times, you know, not just back when they were framing up the medical stuff. I was very fortunate to work with the government, but I've been there just recently. Now, in Australia, you sort of ask, well, what are we doing over? The, what have we done over the last twelve months? We're about to commission our, our um, second facility so that we can produce forty thousand babies every month. But once we've produced forty thousand babies, we have no more babies. So customers in Thailand said, oh, we, we'd love some of these. We'd love some of these plants. And I think, well, no, I want all forty thousand. Ideally, it's a lot easier to have Aussie growers. But why I mention this to you is. 
as I'm getting on the plane to come back from Thailand a month ago or whatever, all these Australians are arriving, you know, for whatever Thailand conference is going on and Thailand's got recreational and it's a free-for-all and all of this. The one thing that dawned on me, and this is to, to sort of piece it back to our debate about recreational, will it, won't it, when will it, all of this, Thailand and many countries, whether it's Germany or otherwise, are in a state of flux and in terms of their regulations are either not bedded down completely, whether it's in the medical cannabis world or even in the recreational cannabis. Now, sure as anything, Thailand isn't. It's the wild west out there. It's the last place you want to be, in my view. I mean, it's great potential. But it's the last place where, you know, oh, sorry, the government forgot to make a few rules. They're just bringing it in after you've spent $5 million on your facility. You know, what it made me think again, and I'm not just, patriotically saying how good is Australia our rules in the medical cannabis space are set you know the rules of the game you know how to get a license you know how now we know the TGA and some of the qualitative parts of the market are just being ironed out but the rules of production are stable what a great foundation like really that's where you know i was they took me over last year i spoke at mj bizcon you know the biggest cannabis conference now very flattering because i'm thinking what am i going to say that you guys in america don't know or didn't know 10 years ago but what was very obvious was our federal rules are you know they're better or they're you know just in it's you, you can have research you know hospitals patients finance export i thought geez that's a bit of a that's a bit of a win for Australia. So I hear what you're saying, and I think we're, you know, we're right in terms of speculating, but I think the actual strength is what we've already got. The framework's there. If you're a recreational listener right now going, well, yeah, I'd love it to be recreation, just go to my local, I don't know, liquor store. Okay, well, maybe you have to go to your doctor now, but, you know, it's the framework set. So I think that is a great strength and, and, Again, not to debate what might happen, but focus on what can you do in a really, I mean, we are over-regulated, but the strength is that the foundations are strong. Yeah, do you know what? That's a, a, a very good point and a point that Peter Crock actually made on stage in a session um, uh, at ICBC that, that, that um, and Carmen Duran from Helis Therapeutics was, was there as well, Peter wearing his kind of MCIA hat. And they both made that point that, you know, yes, we could argue about the regulatory framework and how tough it is and and other things but but the reality is that it as you say it's set everybody knows where they stand everyone can kind of work work within that um and and the other thing i should just say um and and and, and we'll need to wrap up in a minute because we're almost out of time but um it did make me smile that the, the the new zealanders were there in force the aussies were there um in in force um supported by global victoria and on the first night um, at 4 p.m., the Aussies put on drinks on the stand, and it was heaving. I mean, the the um, the, the the exhibition itself was was it was very big, so there weren't a lot of punters around some some of the day. But once the Aussies put on the the the, the, the Victorian wine, 
that was the buzzy place to be. And I've worked in travel, I've worked in media and marketing, and I've worked in now cannabis. So I've been to a lot of expos and it always makes me smile that no matter what industry you're in, the Aussies always do that bit really, really well. So, um, <laughs> so, 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 yeah, it was quite, it was quite funny to see that, um, you know, they, 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 they know how to throw a party, no matter, no matter what industry it is. Okay, I think I'm gonna, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna wrap things up there, um, because we, we are out of time. So, um, big thanks to you, um, Adam. Just, just very quickly, I'll give you the opportunity for a blatant plug just to finish off. I, uh, UIC, um, in a couple of weeks' time. What, what, what's the plans for you guys at UIC? Are you speaking? Uh, no, we're just supporting it, just sponsoring. Okay. We've got a stall. Look, really, just to talk to these licensed growers who want better certainty around their plants uh obviously you know access and, and also the potential the, the growing but yeah we're excited to unveil our, our brand new indoor facility up here on the sunshine coast uh, again that'll produce five hundred thousand babies a year and i would dearly love for our wonderful aussie growers uh to to come come talk but you know again it's such a great melting pot uic and uh yeah look forward to seeing you guys there hopefully we will be there. And Jonesy, I think that will be our first um, time back in the same time zone, won't it? It'll be a reunion. Yes, indeed. It yes, it will be. I'm looking it's forward a... to it already. Likewise. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, we'll, no we'll, we'll, we'll see you in Brisbane.